Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. Welcome to the show. I'm John J. Wiley. Joining me, like always, is Robert Greenberg here in the studio. I would say, like always, like most of the time. Uh, I only missed one day. Yeah, you were sick. Uh, yeah, I had uh, some... Go ahead. It wasn't appendicitis. It wasn't. It wasn't like bubonic plague. No, no. It was a mental health day. Hey, that's it. No, <laughs> it, no, no. It was... I had I had vision problems. Couldn't see your rear end getting here that day. I couldn't see coming into work. Exactly. <laughs> We've got a big show today, and you know, you talked me into interviewing this host, this guest. I did. And I wasn't real hip on things. Well, you heard the word lawyer. I know, and you know, it's I'm old school. What? I've been called a knuckle-dragging street monster back in my day. Uh, and yes, I'm a little bit of an old school you know, kind of guy. And a lot of the attorneys were adversaries. That's what we think. I mean, I still think that to the day until so I met me. until I met Lance. Lance LaRusso, attorney at law. Phenomenal. A, from the Atlanta, Georgia area, former police officer. Pro uh, law enforcement, 100%. He's written so many great books, and he's a great guest. Let's, let's just skip all the formalities, and let's go to the phones and introduce Lance. Big welcome to Lance LaRusso, attorney at law. My friends who've known me for years are going to say, wait a minute. Yeah, don't, Jay don't Wiley, hang up yet. <laughs> having a conversation with an attorney. This guy is one of the good guys. I say that in jest, but seriously, Lance, where do you practice? I practice in Metro Atlanta, and I handle cases all throughout the state of Georgia. I'm the general counsel for the Georgia Fraternal Order of Police. All right, and you also have a blog I saw. Is it Blue Line Lawyer? Yeah, bluelinelawyer.com. It's been going on for several years now. We uh, handle topics that are sometimes of interest just to me, but uh, some, uh, most of the time it's new court cases that have come up, things that will keep law enforcement officers out of trouble, everything from that to uh, car insurance and how to protect yourself and your family if anything ever happens to you. And one of the things I did read real quick is you apparently do a lot of FOP legal defense work. Yes. I, I'm, like I said, I'm the general counsel for the Georgia uh, Fraternal Order of Police, but I represent officers uh, throughout the state of Georgia. And the FOP Legal Defense Plan, it's foplegal.com, um, is a one-price plan. It's an unlimited legal plan. If you, uh, if you join for the full price, you pay one time a year. That's what I mean by one price. And it's $282 for unlimited representation for criminal, civil, and administrative, as long as you use a legal plan attorney, it's it's the best thing that you could imagine. And I got to tell you, I've, I've been a member of FOP Lodge Three in Baltimore, Maryland, since uh, 1980, and I retired 25 years ago. I maintain my membership primarily to help the Legal Defense Fund because they really helped me in horrible, horrible times and situations. So I'm a big, big advocate of that. You know, one of the things that I tell officers right now, if you uh, sit and you get called before a grand jury and someone's accusing you of murder, to defend that criminal case probably will cost between $100,000 and $250,000. So a lot of officers without this will not have the resources to fight. 
And I went through exactly that scenario, but we'll talk about that another yeah, time. Well, I always hear that, Lance. Time. We'll talk about that another time. But, Lance, before we forget, the reason that you're so passionate about the Brotherhood is because you were a police officer prior to getting into law. Yes, absolutely. I'm still sworn, but uh, Al-Qaeda would have to take over the Marietta Square, I think, before they would call me. Most of what I do now is training and policy review. But, yeah, I've been involved in law enforcement. I've been a sworn law enforcement officer since sometime in, two, uh, excuse me, 1988. Okay, so you're, you're not a, a young rookie. You've been at this for quite a while. No, absolutely. And you know, I've seen a lot of changes. I've been a firearms instructor and use of force instructor basically for 25 years. So I've seen a lot of the patterns coming up. And that's why the first book I wrote was When Cops Kill, basically to explain the rest of what's not taught in the academy. We train recruits. If you use deadly force, you do everything right, you'll probably get sued anyway. Okay, next topic, let's go to the range. When Cops Kill and all of the profits from all of my books, When Cops Kill, Peacemaking, and Blue News, all support law enforcement charities. I think we've donated about $17,000 so far, um, but basically picks up, if you will, when the smoke clears. What can you expect from the criminal interview, the internal affairs interview, state licensing boards? What should you expect from the lawyer who's assigned to you to defend a civil case? And then I interviewed officers who had been shot in the line of duty, officers who had um, shot and killed people in the line of duty, and family members. And what's it like 15 years later to live with having taken a life? It's not something that's talked about very often. No, and, and it's even worse now because it's not just that it's not talked about often, but uh, we have people in the media, and that's Blue News is the most recent book, and that was written to explain to both sides, law enforcement and media, about the, the juncture between the two and how the disconnects occur that cause problems. And it's not just that it's not discussed, it's discussed in a negative way. So, for instance, in When Cops Kill, I talked about, I coined a term called the informal media, which is either uh, Facebook, uh, social media, blogs, and also comments to professional news sources. And they have gotten so vicious, they are completely unregulated. Um, they will fly off half-cocked without any vetting of information at all. And they not only ruin careers, um, they can place officers' lives in danger. We saw the two um, New York City police officers who were shot and killed uh, in their patrol car in Queens a couple of years ago, right before Christmas. And the person who did it said he was watching all this stuff and was motivated. He came, believe he came up from Maryland, Maryland yes. or Delaware, and uh, shot and killed those two officers. So it's it's not just that it's not talked about, it's glossed over and the thought that an officer goes to work during the day wanting to use deadly force is distorted. Every officer I've ever met, me included, prayed to whatever God they believed in that that day wasn't the day. Correct. And Lance, I really like you to elaborate about your expertise about the effects that video has on not only uh, the actions that law enforcement take, but people viewing the videos that the media puts out. Sure. According to the IACP, officers are cleared, I think, better than 90% of the time, and that's what we've seen. The problem is people are looking to the video to be the end-all, be-all to what happened during an incident. You have two options after a critical incident. You can have, and by critical incident, I mean everything from a use of force to a shooting, whatever it happens to be. You have two options. Do you want quick answers or do you want a thorough investigation? 
those two things are on parallel railroad tracks, and they will never coincide. So we look to the video, and the video is not going to give you the officer's perspective. Cameras see differently in low light and no light, which is where most shootings occur. Cameras have no peripheral vision. The fastest cameras on the market right now record at about 49 frames per second, and your mind records much faster than that. In addition, the camera does not change focus like the human mind does. So the example I give people, if I'm standing there talking to you at a cocktail party and I put my hands in my pockets, nobody thinks twice about it. But if I'm on a traffic stop at 2.30 in the morning and I put my hands in my pockets, both of your, uh, your blood just went a little cold. Right. We've all been there. But that means something to law enforcement. The camera is not going to shift focus. And it's called attentional blindness. And it's a well-documented issue with cameras and when people are reviewing the officer's view. In addition, the camera doesn't move with the officer's head. So to combat, to compound that issue, we have a case called Graham versus Connor, a 1980s case out of the United States Supreme Court. And the crux of that case was when we review law enforcement action, we look to the action to be reviewed in light of what a reasonable law enforcement officer would do, not a reasonable person. Because the average person on the street, using my example from before, sees someone put their hands in their pockets and doesn't think twice about it. We have all been through the police academy. We know that if a subject puts his hands in his pockets and he produces a firearm, you're not going to have a chance to react. You're going to get shot. Right. Yeah, and, and it brings radar bells immediately, uh, alarm bells going off or should in an officer's head that something's happening or could be happening. Absolutely. And, and if you wait think- as the gun is exposed, you've, you've, you're defenseless. You've got nothing. Exactly, and, and, and that's a perfect example, and I'll, and I'll give you another example of a, a video that I just watched and I was talking to the news about. Uh, so you have a, a person who is standing there with a gun down at their side. There have been tests done in how long it takes somebody to take a gun out of their waistband. If their hand's on the gun in the waistband, how long it takes them to pull it out and fire a shot. Well, we know the proximity is really not in question because most shootings with law enforcement happen just beyond arm's reach within five, six feet most. So you have a person who's going to be accurate at that distance. So they draw the gun, they fire. The average, and I I know the person they used in these tests, she doesn't like guns and she's not an experienced marksman. The average was 0.26 seconds. Follow-up shots have been shown to be done by people with experience and with no experience in an average of 0.25 seconds. So 0. 0.26, 0. 0.25, 0. 0.25, in 0. 0.76 seconds, this person has fired three shots. Now, to give you an idea, to put that in context, a blink of an eye is 0. 0.18 seconds. So in three shots that are placed in 0. 0.76 seconds, an officer with their gun pointed at the suspect that just has to raise it and fire it will take them 0.83 seconds to do so. I'm glad you brought that up because we actually had a class, uh, an exercise in the academy years ago and in yearly in service where I did this. I had a mock service revolver pointed at a suspect. That suspect had a handgun in their hand by their knee, you know, straight down. And I was told not to fire until I saw them fire. And every time... Every time for every person in that class, the suspect would bring up the gun and fire before we could react. 
Right, and, and we it's had action reaction. It doesn't matter already. how fast you are. Right, it's like the, the thing of the, the sprinter in the Olympics, you know, the, the, the delayed reaction coming off the blocks. Three quarters of a second, half a second, quarter of a second reaction time to what you're seeing, and then the muscle memory to go react to it. But no, I, I never could get the first shot off. The other guy always did, even though the gun was hanging straight down, his arm straight down by his side. Exactly, and take it one step further, too, because we, people talk about action and reaction, but people don't talk about stopping action. So we hear about somebody being shot four or five times, whatever it happens to be. But the issue is it takes time to start action. It takes time to stop action. So if you have a suspect who turns and leans over their shoulder and pulls the trigger and then runs away or drops the gun... The officer draws the gun in response to the stimulus. They process it in their head. They start pulling the trigger, and by the time they've reached the end of their arms, they've pulled the trigger maybe one, two, three times, and that person may have dropped the gun already, but that has not processed in the person's head. And probably the most iconic example we have of that, of how fast these shootings happen, look at the shooting of Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley Jr. Mm-hmm. Everybody has seen it. John Hinckley Jr. shot six shots in 1.1 seconds and hit four people, including the most protected individual on the planet. John Hinckley Jr. had absolutely no firearms training whatsoever. So if we take a law enforcement officer who is highly trained, trained under stress, trained to fire quickly, are they going to shoot slower or faster than an untrained person with a revolver. I would say faster. Much faster. And they're going to shoot, and to the, the notion that they're going to shoot six or seven times, and then they're going to turn around and you're going to say, how many times did you shoot? That's not what their mind is focused on. And you know, most of them don't know. Don't I know. from my own experience, I couldn't no, tell but you. but the thing I is, had, after they have a chance to decompress, they right. might. right. And it's not lying. It's not covering up. It's not making up facts. It's just it's a spur. It's a combat situation happens so fast that you really don't get to process it till well after the fact. Right. And the Supreme Court has recognized this. There's actually a case uh, in 2014 called Plumhoff versus Ricard. Some of your folks may want to look it up. It's P L U M H O F F versus Ricard. R I C K A R D. 2014 case, which is relatively new in Supreme Court land. Um, you know, they come out with very few cases every year. In that case, the court granted qualified immunity to some officers who shot 15 times into a vehicle to stop a person. And the court said if they were justified in shooting once, they were justified in shooting until the threat was gone. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a perfect example of nine people who do nothing but study Supreme Court law and precedent and constitutional law all day, examining the unbelievable amount of pressure and the unbelievable amount of training that goes into every decision by an officer. And they looked at the situation and said 15 shots was not unreasonable. But we see a video on the 5 o'clock news, and this is what Blue News is all about, is some of the sensationalism that gets in it. Officers never shoot anyone. They gun them down. Oh, yeah. They unleash a, a barrage of bullets. So that's really what Blue News was about, was teaching law enforcement officers how to tell their story. If you don't tell your story, someone's going to tell it for you. And I'm glad you brought that up because Robert and I were talking. As a young officer, one of the lessons I learned, and after several mistakes, is I didn't talk to news media. 
I didn't talk to politicians, and I didn't talk to defense lawyers before trial. Yeah. Because it always, I always, always winds up coming and be used against you. Uh, and this is a good point to be brought up. If an officer, God forbid, no one wants to ever use force. Yeah, let's let's get that out there right let's now. Deadly I, I force. Always, no one wants to do What's the first it? question everybody asks you when they find out you're a police officer? You ever shoot anybody? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The last thing, the last thing that and any I tell of us people that if they ask me that, I say I'll ask them something really embarrassing. I said, "Do you ever get caught having sex?" Blah 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 blah. And they go, "Why would you ask me that?" <laughs> I said, "Why would you ask me something deeply personal about one of the worst moments of my life at a cocktail party, and I've never met you?" Yep. And then they go, oh, I kind of get it. So if an officer has to use force, uh, physical force, uh, deadly force, should there be any any time where they would not consider getting legal representation before they speak to anybody? Absolutely not. And what's interesting is you can take the average person on the street, take 100 people off the street with no law enforcement and no legal experience, and say, you are arrested or you are being questioned in a homicide. Would you talk to the police? And people say, oh, I don't think so. I'd want to talk to a lawyer first. Or, hey, man, they tell you you have a right to remain silent for a reason. Yet those same hundred people will tell you, well, a law enforcement officer has to talk to them. They're not entitled to a lawyer. And there's a great case um, when you talk about Garrity, Garrity versus New Jersey. That case has a quote in it that I've used in court defending an officer who was involved in a deadly shooting. Law enforcement officers are not entitled to a watered-down version of their constitutional rights. What you just described is one of the reasons why I wrote When Cops Kill, because I wanted the general public and the media to understand the intense investigations that go on after the use of force, especially deadly force. It's horrible. It's horrible. And, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be. It just is horrifying to go through. And the effects can be long-lasting. Because uh, in our agency, you know, if it was a police-involved shooting, it, we'd have the report we had done, the homicide report. The suspect is the officer until it's proven to be a legally justified police-involved shooting. Oh, absolutely. Now, that's, that's black-letter that. law. Exactly. In the law, the, you, it's a justification. A justification is a reason why an action that you took is not unlawful. And this gets back to your video question from before. If I walk outside your studio and grab one of you gentlemen by the neck, and you are probably going to unleash a barrage of strikes, blows, kicks, and everything else, completely justified. If you just did that to somebody on the street, that would be an assault. But you are justified, and that language has to come from the officer as to the reason why they did that. But the problem is, 100% justified. The use of force will never look good on video. Always looks horrible. That, that's a great point, Lance. And, and wrestling with them looks even worse. You know, and that's the big thing. Uh, there's been a lot of incidents with male on female, male cops on female, uh, bad people. And yet, six months ago or less, a female killed a police officer. Right. Um, an officer just lost an eye. He got hit by a high heel stiletto shoe from a drunk driver. Wow. I forget what it was. He's permanently blind in one eye. Yeah, doesn't I, take much. I, no. I have a question for you, Lance, or, or after all your years uh, representing our brothers and sisters, why would a police officer, when you ask them, why did you talk to somebody before I got there? What, what do they tell you? And the reason I bring that up is there are still people that I work with today that think that nobody ever does speak to somebody prior to the uh, FOP or PBA attorneys arriving. Well, I think it's several fold. Um, 
sometimes it's fear uh, that they're afraid they're going to be perceived as covering something up. Sometimes it's peer pressure because these are investigators that even if they're not in their own department, they know them, they know of them. Uh, they want to be seen as doing the right thing. Sometimes it is ignorant command staff that orders them to speak. And by the way, ordering them to speak will likely make whatever they say inadmissible to criminal right. investigators. Um, but, you know, sometimes they, um, they can't be kept quiet. You know, if you have a situation that happens to you that's incredibly horrific, what do you want to do? You want to talk to somebody about it. Correct. Right. And you want to come across as being cooperative. I got nothing to hide. That that's the big thing I've I've heard when I've been on scene is I have nothing to hide at all. Why wouldn't I want to talk about it? It's interesting that you say that because you know people were talking about the Ferguson effect, and I, and I heard it described better by a friend of mine as the Marilyn Mosby effect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, officers are more afraid of being prosecuted for something they didn't do for political expediency than they are afraid to run into uh, you know, a neighborhood that most people wouldn't go to on a bet to, and, and possibly get injured. Good point. Very good point. And I'm retired from Baltimore Police Department, so yeah, you just I, I do appreciate a, your you comment. You just touched a nerve there. And a lot of my brothers and sisters still in a job up there, they're like, I can defend myself to some degree against a bad guy in the street, a murderer. But how do you defend yourself from the state's attorney? When you did everything in your power to do the job the best you could, and you've only got so much control over a situation, and they decide for political reasons they want to come after you, that, that's a defenseless, utterly defenseless situation, and it, and it affects your family and everybody as well. Those suspended officers, they lost all their health insurance for their families during that time. And that's why I don't understand why anybody would be on the street without the FOP legal defense plan. I agree. We're going to have you back as a guest because there's so many different topics to talk about. Oh, I enjoyed this. I really did. I hope you guys will get a chance to read the book. Like I said, the profits benefit law enforcement charities. And, uh, you know, people have said they're good reading. If people like the books, I ask them to do a review on Amazon. If they don't like them, they don't have to tell anybody they read them. That'd be just fine, too. (laughs) Where did they get the books? They can get it on Amazon.com. They can also go to Lance LaRusso Books. Dot com. It's L-A-N-C-E-L-O-R-U-S-S-O books.com. Or they can go to Blue Line Lawyer and follow some of the links. As to say, and if, if other lawyers doing FOP legal defense want to um, commiserate, for lack of better words, can they contact you? Yes, they sure can. As a matter of fact, I do a lot of speaking. I spoke to the Canadian Police Association in September of last year. I uh, spoke to the Maine Sheriff's Association uh, just uh, last month. Um, and I do a lot of speaking around the country. And I, I encourage people to bring the attorneys that represent these officers so they can get a chance to see um, you know, how this works. I represented seven officers in shootings last year. And a lot of times the officers in your jurisdiction um, may not have had to hire a lawyer. I, I've been to agencies where they haven't had a shooting there in 20 years. So how much experience can the local council have with it? No, uh, n- not much at all. Again, I want to thank you so much for your time. I understand you're very busy. You've got a memorial service to head to today, don't you? Yes, it's Police Week, and the uh, local uh, Marietta Square will uh, have their memorial service, and they do something that's great. We start at 7.30, and at uh, dusk, they ring the entire downtown square with police cars and light it up blue. It is something to really see. Lance LaRusso, attorney at law, Blue Line lawyer, thanks so very much. Thanks for all your service. Great interview with Lance LaRusso, attorney. Uh, I'm going to highly recommend it. I'm going to send it to some attorney friends of mine to listen as well. It was phenomenal. We will have him back. And I want to say this. I can't speak for Robert. 
I don't know of any officer who ever said he wanted to, he or she wanted to shoot someone. And when these situations do occur, and they do, the vast majority of time, it's not an illegal criminal act. We would never, ever, ever support someone, an officer who, who commits an act of murder. Ever. Ever. Never. So I'll repeat that again. Never, ever would we, you know? And I personally put cuffs on people if I had to, if I saw something like that. So I don't want anyone to misconstrue what we're talking about here. We're talking about legal, justified use of force as compared to criminal behavior. So in addition to being a great lawyer, Lance LaRusso has written some books, and you can buy them, like he said, at his website, but also on our website. On our website, we have links. In fact, we didn't even get a chance to discuss this, Jay. Lance has written several articles for Law Enforcement Today. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the website and you just punch in Lance LaRusso, his articles will come up. You'll be able to read them and uh, also click on the Law Enforcement Today library, and his books will pop up there yeah, as well. Yeah, if you buy one of the books and you read it, I'd love to hear, we'd love to hear from you what your input is, what you think. I, I highly recommend people to take a look at what Lance is saying. Uh, he's a man with experience. He's speaking from the side of law enforcement, and I believe that there is somebody out there right now that probably could use his help. And if you guys out there enjoyed having and hearing Lance on the show, let us know what you think. Give us some feedback on yeah. some of our guests that you'd like to hear come on or even speak on specific topics. Right. And if you want to be a guest, we can accommodate you from anywhere, right? From our radio studios right here in uh, Palm Beach, West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we can record you from, it doesn't matter where you're calling Lance from. Lance was calling in from Atlanta. Right. And all of our guests have been from all over the United States, so we can accommodate you from anywhere. Also, if, if you want to be like a counterpoint, send a topic or suggestion, either way, just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, at the contact bottom us of the, page. At the bottom of the page is the contact page. Email us. Myself or Jay will get back yeah. with you Yo, within the same day. You can always send a message on Facebook as well believe me we read that stuff and we will get back to you lance larusso attorney at law i might i might have to say he might be my new favorite lawyer he was phenomenal that's although i gotta say shout out to herb wiener and uh uh belsky and other guys up in baltimore who who defended me against unjustified accusations man those lawyers saved my life i'm i'm you never ever want to go through a bad situation without legal defense. This guy, we'll have him back again. A lot of great things to talk about. And I'm looking forward to having him on the show again. So until next week, I'm John J. Wiley. Robert Greenberg. See ya. Oh, you did pretty good there. Mm-hmm.